All right, where the drinks are spiced and the food is beans and rice. Welcome back to Liquid Gold right here on the We Own This Town podcast network, weownthistown.net, where you can find all the podcasts and the music show. Probably the longest running We Own This Town show, so check that out. Always great content there from our producer, your producer, Michael Eads. I'm Mike Wolf, your host today, giving you a fall drink roundup here. There's so much going on, so many flavors to talk about. We've got the new book, Cheer, a liquid gold holiday drinking guide. I'm going to be previewing some content from the book today as the birds sing outside my window. Not sure if you could hear that one. So the book is coming out November 15th. We have pre-order links on my Instagram at MikeWolf underscore liquid gold. You can find the link there for turnerpublishing.com. They've got a pre-order link there. And we've got a link as well at liquidgold.show, our new website that we launched earlier this year where you can go back through the archives, hear all the different topics that we've covered. And it's going to be exciting fall and winter this year because we've got so much content to talk about regarding our book. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun just getting it out to a few people here and there, getting it out to some of the contributors. And um, as I start to get some copies on my doorstep, it's just been amazing to look through it. Such a, such a project. We really wanted the book to come out in, say, early to mid-September. I think that would have been perfect because that's kind of where the book starts. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Some of that content that's very like fall. The first chapter is called The First Chill in the Air. When you start to think about whiskey, you start to think about apple brandy. So we're going to go over some of those flavors here in just a moment. Now, I love to host podcasts. I love to do interviews with people. That's probably my favorite thing about it. But uh, I've been a guest on a few podcasts of late. So check out Southern Fork, amazing podcast from Stephanie Burt, and she does a lot of writing. She writes for Savor, one of my favorite uh, food magazines that is no longer in print. They're just digital now, but they still do amazing content. Um, So shout out Stephanie. She had me on the Southern Fork, so you can check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. Her website is thesouthernfork.com. So lots of great content there, recipes. Stephanie knows a lot about food. She knows a lot about drinks and a lot about the Southeast as well, where her kind of focus is. She's based in Columbia, South Carolina. So I want to thank her for having me on. Had a great chat talking about non-alcoholic cocktails, talking about just how that whole world is changing and people are looking for all these different non-alcoholic options now. So it's cool to talk about that. And then also kind of the the process of going through all these recipes for cheer and putting the whole book together. So we talk a lot about that. And then I'll, I'll be uh, a guest on the Pamphleteer, which is an alt news daily here in Nashville. You can sign up for their newsletter, the Pamphleteer at pamphleteer.co. So that's P-A-M-P-H-L-E-T-E-E-R.co. And they cover a lot of really good stuff. If you want to keep, keep tabs on what's going on in Nashville They've been talking about the uh, Nashville Film Festival, and they've got a lot of good opinion articles, movie reviews, and yours truly, I'll be writing about some of the city's hidden gems as far as food goes, some of the great taco trucks, some of the Bon Me spots you might not know about. So I'm going to be getting into some of that over the next few months, so look for that as well, pamphleteer.co. Thanks to Davis for having me on that podcast, which will run next week. So had some podcast guesting action going on. All right, let's dive in here. So I feel like we're right in this season where you're going to start having friends over, having like a little fire out back. Somebody's going to reach for the whiskey and there's going to be people who aren't as into whiskey. But yeah, 
it there are a few left who are not that into whiskey. But in the book, first chapter, where we talk about whiskey drinks by the fire with friends, which really commences drinking season, as we call it, there's a little piece about the gateway drink. And this was a drink I did back at Husk years ago, but it became kind of a phenomenon at the time because we realized that when you put all these complimentary flavors along with whiskey, you really can make these delicious, crushable drinks. When you're right in that tweener season where it's still warm outside, we've got highs in the upper 70s, lower 80s, and then at night it gets down to like the 50s. So it's it's great for drinking whiskey, but it's also if you're going to be having this while the sun's still out and it's still warm out, you can make really refreshing whiskey drinks. So let me just read this passage about the gateway drink. If you're planning on having a bonfire or any autumnal gathering of like-minded whiskey drinkers, it's always a good idea to have some vodka or tequila lying around for those unfortunate souls who don't drink whiskey. There's also a way to present whiskey in a more approachable light, less old-fashioned-y and more Lynchburg lemonade style. There are plenty of dynamic, accessible flavors that also go really well with whiskey that you can use to craft a crowd-pleasing whiskey concoction. Before we get into a cocktail equivalent of a gateway drink, here are some flavors to keep in mind when introducing anyone to the joys of whiskey. Ginger, with its spicy bite and lifting aroma, can help compete with any astringency or intensity of the whiskey for a newbie. Lemon helps to cut the round sweetness of many bourbons and goes well with many of whiskey's other flavor affinities like the aforementioned ginger. We're starting to put it together. As you can see here, uh, stone fruits, such as peaches and apricots, work really well when mixed with bourbon. Add some lemon for acidity and your smack dab on a porch on a summer day, late summer day, early fall day. Water is a big one too. Water can really help open up the flavor profile and aroma of a good whiskey. If you're making a simple old-fashioned for a new-to-whiskey friend, try adding an ounce to an ounce and a half of water in the glass to introduce these big flavors in a lighter way. And so here's a, this is a little bit more involved recipe than a lot of the ones in the book because there's some really simple ones in here. There's a Lincoln County cocktail earlier here in the chapter that's that's really just about making like a smoked maple syrup and whiskey drink. Super simple. But the gateway drink, this recipe that I have here, six lemon verbena leaves divided, one dash of Fee's Whiskey Barrel Bitters, a pinch of Maldon sea salt, two ounces of Bellmead bourbon, or any bourbon you like, half ounce of apricot liqueur, Rothman and Winters is good, that's pretty readily available, half ounce of a grilled peach cordial, and then half ounce of fresh lemon juice. There's also a uh, chamomile tincture part of this recipe if you want to get really in-depth and make this more of a project. I would say if you're just looking to make something light for your friends and turn on some people to whiskey, this is the uh, simplified version that we have a little bit later in the chapter, the gateway drink simplified for a gathering. You do a half gallon, 64 ounces peach iced tea, 12 lemon verbena or lemon balm leaves. Maybe you've got some mint lying around, whatever herb you've got, check it out. See if it works. Two bags, chamomile tea. Six dashes of an aromatic bitters, maybe an Angostura, something like it. A teaspoon of sea salt. Twelve ounces of bourbon. Remember, we're serving this for, you know, four to six people. Two ounces of an apricot liqueur. One ounce of the grilled peach cordial. You can substitute a simple syrup if that's just too much work. I get it. And then half cup of lemon juice. So in a large pitcher or bowl, combine the peach tea, lemon herbs, 
and chamomile tea bags and stir to combine and release some flavor from the tea and the herbs. Infuse in the refrigerator for an hour or two hours for a stronger flavor. Strain out the lemon herbs and take out the tea bags. Add the bitters, salt, bourbon, apricot liqueur, peach syrup, and lemon juice and whisk to combine. Just whisk that stuff up a little bit. Taste for desired sweetness and serve over ice. Garnish with lemon lemon wheels and mint. So that's a great one. You can just take, you know, part of that idea. You don't have to go super crazy with the grilled peach cordial and all that. If you're still, if you still have some peaches around or really like you could do this with apples too. You could grill some apples. So, so that's your gateway drink. You can use say ginger beer. You can use ginger ale. If you want to use ginger as your kind of sweetening agent along with like some lemon juice or a lemonade, that would be great as well. You're really just building out those flavors that go well with whiskey and you're just making things light by adding these ingredients and maybe lightening up on the whiskey. And then if you realize, hey, uh, everyone who's over here loves whiskey, well, you can make it a little stronger. You can even do a little bourbon floater on top. Maybe you like the high proof stuff. Hey, I, I'd say choose your own adventure when it comes to a gateway drink, but just think about all those beautiful flavors that go so well with whiskey. There's a lot of them. Now, before we move into some of the other fall flavors from these uh, first few chapters from the book, I do want to read one of Kenneth's, Mr. Kenneth Deadman, who has his booze news anecdotes throughout the book. I want to read this one from the Whiskey Chapter. So this is Kenneth's booze news section, um, and this one's called Stranger Than Fiction, But Still True. On November 14th, 2014, in the city of Gray, Louisiana, a man named Jack Daniels Leathers and his wife Lydia gave birth to a healthy baby boy they named Jim Beam. Mr. Daniels Leathers told The Guardian in the UK that he had been named Jack Daniels by his parents to upset the grandparents. Jack was merely paying it forward. He said if he was lucky enough to have another boy someday, he would name him Evan Williams after the popular bourbon. The whiskey wonderment doesn't stop there, however. The happy couple's wedding was officiated by none other than Terrebonne Parish Judge Johnny Walker. So that's just an incredible tale. So thank you, Kenneth, for getting that in there. So as we head to this second part of the first part, second chapter of this uh, first section in the book, all about this time of year that we're in right now. And that's why I kind of want to talk about it because the book doesn't come out till the middle of November. So it'll be really like next year, next September, when we can really be out doing events and kind of touting some of these drinks and, and uh, showing people orchard-based cider and uh, apple brandy, because that's what chapter two is called. Orchard-based cider, apple brandy, and orchard cocktails. And we talked a lot to uh, Diane Flint from Foggy Ridge, who still is running the orchards there. They're not making cider there anymore, but uh, she talks a lot about orchard-based cider and why that's so important to bring that back here in this country. And some of the cider cocktails in here, I'll give you, uh, this cider spritz is super easy. And you can use different liqueurs to kind of make this work. So let me give you this recipe here. What you really need to find is a good dry sparkling cider. So you might want to go to your bottle shop, go to your local well-stocked liquor store. And you're not looking for like Angry Orchard or stuff like that, though that's fine if you want to use it. But you're looking for like a really dry cider, orchard-based cider that tastes pretty much like champagne. You know, sun-kissed champagne as you get into orchard based cider, dry ciders, they're really incredible. And they're great for this time of year 
We are here in the last day of September where we're recording this, heading into October 2022. Great time to get into some cider cocktails. This one, you just do four ounces of a dry sparkling cider. We have uh, Brightwood Cider here in Nashville. That would be a great one to use. Then uh, you can do, I have one ounce of Sailor's Aperitif, which is a gentian liqueur. You may know Sue's. But if you're new to kind of getting your own home bar together, if you're new to making cocktails, check out Sailor's Gentian Liqueur. It's an aperitif, sort of like a vermouth. It's light, but there's really nothing like it. It tastes like dandelions and strawberry tops and is just delightful. So I've got an ounce of the Sailor's in there. Use any liqueur you want. You know what? You want to use, later in the chapter, we talk about apples and oranges and how you can use Cointreau or you know, triple sex with cider to really good effect. Um, so back to the recipe. We got four ounces of dry sparkling cider, one ounce of the sailor's aperitif or another liqueur, two marigold blossoms if you've got them, and one ounce of soda, say like a Topo Chico, something really nicely carbonated. And uh, in a large wine glass, you just fill it uh, three quarter of the way with ice, add the cider and the sailors, briefly stir to incorporate, add the, mag- add the marigold blossoms and stir to release their honeyed aroma Top with an ounce of soda and garnish with an aromatic sprig of, say, thyme or rosemary, something you've got around. Here's another super simple cider cocktail. Uh, two dashes of an aromatic bitters, like an Angostura, something like it. Quarter teaspoon of maple syrup. No, I'm sorry. Half a teaspoon of maple syrup. You're garnishing it with a lemon twist, and you're doing five ounces of dry sparkling cider on top of that. So sort of like a, uh, a champagne cocktail that you're making with a nice dry cider. So in a coupe or flute glass, add the bitters, maple syrup, and lemon twist, expressing the oils around the glass. Add the cider and lightly stir to incorporate. And there you go. That's your super simple cider cocktail, sort of like your champagne cocktail. All right. In addition to a nice dry sparkling cider, maybe even some perry, a little pear cider would be great this time of year. There's also another spirit that is perfect for this... uh, pre-fall, first week of fall sort of uh, drinking experience is apple brandy. We love apple brandy. We've covered it here on the show before. You can go back in the archives and find our talk about apple brandy with Pat Halloran of Henrietta Red. We talked to him about uh, the difference between American apple brandy and the uh, French Calvados. So go back and check that episode out. But there's some really simple apple brandy drinks in, in cheer and one is an apple brandy Manhattan. So two ounces of Laird's apple brandy or any apple brandy that you like. The Clear Creek stuff is awesome as well. You might have a good regional variety where, wherever, you're, wherever you lay your head. But uh, So two ounces of Laird's apple brandy. Three-quarter ounce of sweet vermouth. Then we have in there one teaspoon of Nocino, the black walnut liqueur. So nut allergies, you probably want to stay away from that. One dash of aromatic bitters, and I would say about the Nocino, you could sub, say, like a little maple syrup, simple syrup, sorghum, honey, anything like that. And then you're going to garnish this with a lemon twist or a cherry. So you stir the brandy, vermouth, Nocino, or whatever substitute you have for the Nocino and bitters in a mixing glass until well chilled. Serve up in a coupe or any damn glass, as we (laughs) note in the book here, and garnish with a lemon twist and or a cherry. Now, if you're into Calvados, one of the greatest apple brandy slash Calvados cocktails in the classic cocktail canon, it's been 
revived a little bit over the last few years. I had a version of it in my second book, Barantined, but it's The Widow's Kiss. And if you're into cocktails and you're into stuff like chartreuse, Benedictine, this is a awesome cocktail. Relatively simple, so all you need is you need Calvados or an apple brandy, you need yellow chartreuse, you need Benedictine, and some aromatic bitters. So it's one and a half ounce of Calvados or an apple brandy, three quarter ounce yellow chartreuse, three quarter ounce Benedictine, two dashes of an aromatic bitters, and garnish it with a cherry if you've got them. You stir all those ingredients together until well chilled and serve up over or over one big rock. Garnish with a cherry or anything you have lying around. Then we've also got an apple brandy maple old-fashioned in here that is just a quarter ounce of maple syrup, two dashes aromatic bitters, one dash of black walnut bitters, two ounces of Laird's apple brandy. We've got a Nocino recipe in here that you can make, something that's a little bit different than the one in Garden to Glass that leans a little bit heavier on the spices. But before I talk about persimmon spice, Demerara, which it would be just an incredible ingredient for you to have around for the fall to make some really amazing cocktails with. I want to tell you there's some great pear cocktails in here. There's a whole pear section and there's a pear ginger Collins, pear in a bottle, brandy Cosmo. But I want to give this recipe for the pear brandy Prosecco cocktail. This is pretty simple. One ounce of pear brandy, quarter ounce of Amaro Nonino or a favorite lighter Amaro that you like maybe a vermouth, one dash of an aromatic bitters, and then four ounces of a Prosecco or another sparkling wine. So you just stir the pear brandy, Amaro Nonino, and bitters together over ice until chilled. Strain into a champagne flute or cocktail glass and top with the Prosecco. Garnish with an orange twist. That's a great pear brandy, really light, refreshing cocktail for this time of year. And at this point, I want to talk about some of these ingredients so you don't think of this time of year as like, you know, that there's a lot of fruit around necessarily, but there are some amazing ingredients that are available here in the Southeast and all over this country and elsewhere. And those three ingredients, persimmon, pawpaw, and pumpkins. So pumpkins we'll probably get into a little bit later, but I do want to talk about spices and how it pertains to persimmon. There are wild persimmons growing all over Tennessee. Um, I know that Bloomsbury Farms they sell them at their markets. Uh, when they go to farmer's markets, you can start to see them around this time of year. And something that's key about persimmon, something we talk about in the book, is how when you use persimmon, you want it to be so ripe that it's almost uh, rotten. Because rotten is the word. And I use that word just because um, it's what early settlers thought was strange. They thought it was very strange about persimmon that you know, these Native Americans were eating it when it was like turning to mush and looked like it was just about to rot. But these uh, wild persimmons, they're just incredible when you let them get to that point. You just got to wait. You got to have the patience. You got to wait till they're super soft. And then they're almost like pudding and just a great ingredient for drinks because you're probably not going to be, you know, sitting around, passing around spoons and just eating, you know, overripe, super ripe persimmon. So make persimmon spice demerara. There's some good detail here about the spices that I want to go over too. So for this one, say you've got two pints of fully ripened, soft and mushy persimmons, two cups of a turbinado sugar, or demerara sugar, one cup of water, and then your dry spices, 
one tablespoon of cinnamon, one tablespoon of clove, one tablespoon of allspice, one teaspoon of freshly grated nutmeg using a microplane, uh, one teaspoon star anise, or say two star anise pots. Now, uh, sourcing your spices, if you're really into spices and you want to get into that this time of year, I don't blame you. It's part of the nostalgia of autumn. It's why pumpkin spice is such a thing. It reminds us all of growing up and smelling those first like baked goods of the year that your mom might be making, those first like loaves of pumpkin bread, chocolate chip pumpkin bread, coming out of the oven with those spices kind of bolstering that flavor. And uh, if you're into spices, I would say I love Spices Inc. They're not a sponsor for the show or anything, but I've used them a lot over the years. They're based out of Pennsylvania. There's a lot of great spice companies out there. High Garden's a great one t- if you're looking for a local source for you know teas, dried herbs, botanicals, things like that. Spices Inc. is great for spices. And you'll notice a huge difference if you're ordering your spices and uh, breaking them down, toasting them yourself, rather than using like the powdered stuff that you can get at the store. If you start working with your own spices and toasting them and, and working with them whole, you'll notice a huge difference. So much flavor will open up to you. So I gave you the rundown for the persimmon spice demerara, and here's what you do. You combine the dry spices in a mortar and pestle and crush until broken up. Then in a saucepan, combine the crushed spices and ripened persimmons along with the sugar and water and bring to a boil, mashing the persimmons with the back of a wooden spoon in the process. Immediately turn down the heat to a low simmer and cook, covered for 15 minutes. Remove from heat and let cool. Allow the cordial to infuse overnight or two days for a bolder flavor. Strain through a fine sieve. Uh, Stored in the refrigerator, the cordial will keep for three weeks. Add an ounce of vodka to keep the cordial fresh for six to eight weeks. And you can do that with any cordial that you're making. If you're like, man, I would love for this to last for a couple months. Add a little bit of vodka to it. And uh, it will really help preserve and lengthen the life of that cordial or syrup. And then another thing about toasting your spices when you're using them, you toast them in a skillet or or uh, just a saute pan. You'll really wake them up. And it's one of those things you want to kind of watch the spices as you're doing it. You want to, depending on how well you know your cast iron, how thick it is, how much heat it needs, and how well you know your stove, you want to be careful not to overtoast. Because if you overtoast spices and there's that burned quality, you're going to be infusing that flavor into whatever you're making. So you do want to be a little bit careful. Shake the pan around, take a wooden spoon and Stir those spices around, move them around from hot spots on the pan, and uh, you'll notice a huge difference in your spice game. So I'll give you what you can do with this persimmon spice demerara. We've got a persimmon spice old-fashioned in here where you're just doing two ounces of rye whiskey or a bourbon. The rye and persimmon is really nice, and the rye with the spices is really nice, so I would recommend trying that out. And then a quarter ounce of persimmon demerara, two dashes of aromatic bitters, three drops of allspice dram, the lovely staple of autumn drinking allspice dram check it out we probably need a whole episode on it Uh, then you're going to garnish with an orange peel or a sprig of thyme and you're just stirring the whiskey demerara bitters and allspice until it's well chilled and strain into an old-fashioned glass with a large ice cube or two garnish with an orange peel or a sprig of thyme and you are in autumnal drinking heaven we've got some recipes in here for dehydrated persimmon slices that you can use that look super cool as garnishes, maybe for a party. There's a persimmon whiskey punch that's really delicious using some apple cider. 
Persimmon Manhattan, a lot of amazing stuff. So I do want to, I mentioned a little bit earlier about waiting till a persimmon is just right and you have to wait a while sometimes. And this is why there's the Japanese uh, hoshigaki tradition where they're hanging the persimmons by a string and just letting them kind of ferment, letting them ripen as they just hang almost like they're perfectly hanging on a tree. Now, if you do have a persimmon tree or if you know of one nearby and you want to wait, what I would not do is wait to let the persimmons ripen on the tree because what will happen is the birds and the animals and the raccoons, they're just better at this than we are. And they'll know when it's perfect to grab it. And they'll grab it ahead of time. They'll know that, I mean, they're like, look, I don't really care if it's as ripened as you want it. I'm going to take it now. So if you see one around this time of year, I would pick it and then just let it ripen inside. But this is a booze news story from Kenneth. And a lot of the booze news in the book, we thought it would be fun to just go through the years. So these aren't like necessarily very topical booze news stories. This one goes back 400 years. And this is rotten or ripe, Kenneth Dedman's little booze news story here. So Thomas Harriet, an Oxford-educated nautical engineer, said the whitest thing, which also happens to be the first reference to persimmons in Western culture in the Americas. Introduced to the fruit for the first time, he made note that it was eaten by Native Americans when rotten. In his 1588 writing, A Brief and True Report of the Newfound Land of Virginia. In 1612, John Smith would correct Harriet's verbiage, requiring the ingestion of persimmon to be ripe before consumption. Persimmon was plentiful, as any abundant food from the forest, and the growing number of hunters and trappers took notice. Finding groves of persimmon meant finding deer and bear meat, hides, and plenty of this perfectly rotten and ripe fruit. Although the persimmon is not acknowledged by many as a fruit that was widely accepted by the colonists, they were rapidly ad- adapting to corn cultivation in these times. The apple and pear were planted often in the New World, and though they were not indigenous, they thrived in a way not possible in England. So that's Kenneth's, uh, that's one of his, he's got another persimmon boost news story in here that I'll, you'll just have to wait until you get the book to find this fascinating tale. So I would encourage you to look out for persimmons here in the market here in Tennessee. If you're heading to the farmer's market, ask around. If you're down at Shelby Park, look around. And uh, the many of the varieties, so most, most of the persimmons that are consumed here in the U.S. are the Japanese varieties that you might see at the grocery store. You might see them at uh, ethnic food markets, wrapped in cellophane, and these kind of large orange, super orange um, persimmons. And those are delicious as well. And that's another one you want to let that ripen quite a bit till it's very soft. And have had a lot of success just muddling it into drinks. And uh, it's just an incredible flavor. And the fact that we have native ones here that to me are more delicious. They might be a little bit harder to work with because they're a little bit smaller. But they're just incredible. They hint at spice. And the reason why we have pumpkin spice is because pumpkins on their own, they need a little help. You wouldn't want to necessarily be scooping out pumpkin, just straight up pumpkin puree and throwing it in your coffee. It might be a little weird. But pumpkins hint at that spice when they're super ripe. Persimmons do the same thing, and I would argue they do it even uh, more so. They hint more at these spices that we love this time of year, the cinnamons, the cloves, the nutmegs, 
So check out persimmon when you're thinking about pumpkin spice and other the and uh, some of these other fall ingredients. Now I will tell you there is a pumpkin spice cordial here in Cheer. I don't need to go over that with you, but I do want to let you know there's also a pumpkin cordial hold the spice, where the focus is on like bringing out the actual pumpkin flavor. I'm going to give this one this recipe. So what you want to be looking for is uh, pie pumpkins, so the small ones that are like the size of a mini basketball. And you want to source that from uh, as local a source as possible. So we're not quite into that season yet, but bookmark this part in your brain. Bookmark it on your podcast app. But so you've got one pie pumpkin. You want one bunch of fresh thyme, so eight to ten sprigs, two sprigs of rosemary, six to eight sage leaves, one bay leaf. There's always that one bay leaf. Uh, freshly cracked black pepper, one large pinch of salt, and then for the syrup, you're just need, you just need a two to one mixture. So four cups turbinado sugar, two cups of water. Here's what you're gonna do: you're gonna slice open the top of the pumpkin and create some space for the aromatics to sit inside. Place the thyme, rosemary, sage, and bay inside the pumpkin, and also crack a few turns of black pepper. Sprinkle salt over the aromatics like you're seasoning a fish, and put the top back on the pumpkin. Roast the pumpkin at 400 degrees for one hour. After roasting, allow the pumpkin to cool before handling it. As it cools, prepare the syrup. Bring the four cups of sugar and two cups of water to a boil and immediately turn down the heat to a low simmer. Begin scraping out the pumpkin meat from the roasted pumpkin along with the aromatics. Add the pumpkin and the aromatics to the syrup as it simmers, letting the pumpkin cook in the syrup for 15 minutes. Infuse the syrup overnight in the refrigerator and strain through a fine sieve the next day. For a bolder flavor, let the pumpkin infuse in the syrup for two to three days. Bottled and kept in the refrigerator, the cordial will keep for three weeks. So this is, uh, while not maybe the anti-pumpkin spice, this is just a different take on how you can use pumpkin and really accentuate that actual flavor of pumpkin with herbs. And it makes for a really rich, umami-forward cordial. Uh, there's Pumpkin Manhattan, Pumpkin Boulevardier, Pumpkin-infused vermouth, of course, we have the pumpkin sp spice espresso martini. You got to have that. But I do, before we go, I just want to talk about pawpaw real quick because pawpaw is another fascinating southeastern fruit. It is uh, the wildest fruit in North America. It's the largest tropical fruit in North America. They are just, pawpaws are really nice this time of year. So be looking for those out at your uh, farmer's market. And I just want to read this little section about pawpaws from Cheer here. Pawpaws, the tropical tasting, bulbous, mysterious fruit found in forests all over the southeastern and midwestern United States, have had a long history. From cultivation by Native Americans to appreciation by hungry settlers. From a delicacy of the New World to a neglected forest dweller. Now pawpaws are ready for their moment of rediscovery. This is the same fruit that during the Great Depression was referred to as poor man's bananas in which George Washington devoured in desserts and Thomas Jefferson propagated all over his expansive garden at Monticello. The pawpaw's singularity can be summed up by the fact that it is the only temperate member of a family of tropical trees. It has been both exalted and mostly forgotten. Pet names include hillbilly mango and hipster's banana, which would also be decent bluegrass band names. Technically the largest fruit native to North America, pawpaw's soft, custard-like texture tastes like a blend of mango, guava, and banana, and arrives in late September, early October, bingo, a time when those summery, exotic flavors are hard to come by. 
Even though they might be sitting up in a tree just waiting to be plucked near your house, pawpaws can be difficult to source during their short season. Luckily, there are a few reliable internet resources in the search for pawpaw glory. Owen Native Foods and Peterson Pawpaws both sell a variety of seeds, starter trees, frozen purees of pawpaw, and even salsas. So to pluck your own pawpaw straight off the tree, assuming you live in the middle or southeast of the country, follow these simple foraging guidelines and consult the experts in the field, botanists, naturalists, park rangers, the internet, (laughs) along the way. Uh, So here's some foraging guidelines for you real quick. Even in warm weather, wear protective clothing and boots in case you run into any poison ivy or other harmful pests. Carry some water while you're at it. In In humid climates, be mindful of mosquitoes and ticks. There are plenty of natural and organic bug repellent options out there. Always cross-check whichever plant you're seeking out with any poisonous lookalikes. If you're ever in doubt of a plant or flower of any kind, definitely don't eat it. As for pawpaws, there are no poisonous lookalikes, and the large leaves on the tree are pretty distinct and recognizable. For pawpaws, begin scouting for trees in August and try to notice any fruit-bearing trees with the signature banana-esque medallion of green and golden oblong fruit. Most trees fruit every other year, and sometimes finding a pawpaw tree doesn't necessarily mean finding the fruit, though you can make a note about that tree for next year. Be gentle when harvesting pawpaw. The skin can be very soft and will bruise easily. Store with care and let the fruit fully ripen before eating or cooking it. Be advised, according to scientist and avowed pawpaw enthusiast Neil Peterson, any fruit leather made with pawpaw has been shown to cause stomach discomfort. So don't get too weird out there, foodies. Uh... So that's one thing to be careful with pawpaws, but we've got the pawpaw frozen daiquiri in here. This is one you're going to do up in the blender. This is like a Cuban style daiquiri. Four ounces of white or gold rum, two ounces of lime juice, one ounce of a pawpaw cordial, one ounce of simple syrup, one ripened pawpaw, fruit scooped out and seeds removed, one dash of cinnamon bitters or angostura, 10 ounces crushed or cracked ice. And you can garnish it with uh, star anise, pod or half lime wheels so all you do is you add the rum lime juice simple syrup pawpaw bitters and ice to a blender and blend at high speed for 10 seconds serve in coupe glasses and garnish with a half wheel of lime and one star anise pod over the top so this will serve two people for this drink now let me give you the pawpaw cordial recipe real quick got two cups turbinado sugar two cups water three fully ripened pawpaws fruit scooped out or diced pinch of salt one teaspoon of grated cinnamon, zest of two limes, four ounce lime juice. And then what you do is you bring the sugar and water to a boil to dissolve the sugar. Turn the heat down to a medium simmer and add the pawpaw fruit. Add the salt and cinnamon and let the mixture simmer for 20 minutes. Remove from heat, add the lime zest, cover, and let the pawpaw infuse into the cordial on the countertop for four to five hours. Strain the mixture into a sealable container, add the lime juice, and store in the refrigerator. It will keep for at least a month. And then once again, you can always add, say you could add a little rum or a little bit of vodka, say an ounce, to make that last a little bit longer. So in addition to that one, there's pop-up bitters and a pop-up puree recipe in here. And uh, there's a uh, Booze News pop-up story that goes back to 1806. So this one, Lewis and Clark give thanks for the pop-up. According to History Net's informative article on pawpaws, Lewis and Clark's men escaped near starvation by eating pawpaws until they reached a settlement with provisions 150 miles down the river from when they were first nearly starving. 
A journal entry from September 18, 1806, notes that the men are entirely out of provisions, though they appear perfectly well contented to tell us that they can live very well on the pawpaws. The fruit is loaded with vitamin C and antioxidants and has the distinction of being the only fruit containing all the essential amino acids. That's pretty insane. Also, uh, the zebra swallowtail butterfly tends to agree as it only lays eggs on the leaves of pawpaw trees. So some, uh, some observations from Lewis and Clark going back over 200 years. Fascinating stuff. The rest of this part of the book gets into all these different um, fall flavors to fall back on. Uh, with a fall spiced tea, some chai infused rye drinks, uh, making your own chai. We note that in the book that it's like, is chai still cool? Is chai not cool? We don't know. People like it. It's delicious and it's great for beverages. So we've got some guidance there for you. This is all in Cheer, a liquid gold holiday drinking guide. We're excited. Thanks for indulging me today and letting me go over all the different fall content that's in this book coming out November 15th. Thanks to everybody at We Own This Town. Thanks to Jess Matching for the logo. Upright T-Rex for the tunes. Thanks to Michael Eads and everybody at We Own This Town. And we'll be back with more fall drinking content. And we've got Sherry circled. We really need to cover Sherry. We haven't done the big Sherry episode. We haven't done a big martini episode. We haven't really tackled the origins of the old fashioned, the mysteries of the Manhattan. So there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up for this season for Liquid Gold. My co-host, Mr. Kenneth Dedman, cocktail correspondent, Jess Backus. I'm your host, Mike Wolf, and we'll see you next time on Liquid Gold. Cheers, everybody.